Three. Two. Two. One. One. All right, Dan Tankeris. Hey, we are in the Dun Dun. In the Dunny. It's good to see you. Crocodile Dun Dun Me? Dun D. Dun Dunny. Crocodile Dun Dini. Dun Dini. Yeah. Man, so it's good to be back in the Dun. We got an interview on tap today. It's been a long time. It has. It's been a long time since we're going beyond flag. It's been a long time. And the people voted. The and pe- uh, <laughs> we left it up to the coin. <laughs> the people voted. We got the Abraham Lincoln made the decision. Releasing the Beyond flag. Yeah. Before we get there, though, I got some nice shouts. Uh, yes. Some nice shouts? I got some nice shouts. Yeah. Yeah. First off, I got to shout out Lux. We just uh, went over there. My head is spinning. So so Mrs. Be Nice mm-hmm. <laughs> treated the two of us, yahoos, to some Lux. <laughs> yeah. Just a winning combo. How patient is she and oh, how man. generous is she Yeah. to go over there with us and then to treat us? To yeah. some locks. She puts up with a lot of horse crap. And then, so she <laughs> bought you a brownie, and I got a uh, an Americano. I don't know how you feel, but man, my head is spinning right now. Yeah. Zzz. So, shout out to Mama B, <clears throat> to Jamie for uh, treating us to some Lux, and then shout out to the homies at Lux. Yeah. Especially the, uh, the person who knows that my name starts with a C. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. love that. Yeah. She doesn't know your name, but um, she knows it starts with a C, and you have absolutely no clue what her name is. Correct. <laughs> so, so she's with, doing a lot better than you. Yeah. Her job is to ask me my name <laughs> when I place an order, right? Your job as a human maybe to also know her name. <laughs> to reciprocate? Yeah. Uh, funny you ask, what is your name? <laughs> yeah. Will you start doing that? I'll do at it. coffee shops. Yeah. Uh, you can just write Cody on there. But what is your name first? <laughs> funny you ask. Yeah. <laughs> funny you ask (laughs) my name oh jeez okay how many listeners have tuned out by now (laughs) all of them (laughs) they sort down to zero from one whatever we were at we were at two i can tell you what it's at now yeah i think this is why the quick and nerdy voters were like so emphatic in their votes (laughs) okay so shout out so shout shout out lux shout out mrs be nice shout out jamie be nice and man so something that's been really big in our community um so local ultra runner and athlete tommy rivers Pusey, um has been hospitalized right and so he came down with or has contracted was it nk t-cell lymphoma i believe yeah yeah primary pulmonary it's just an icon of our community yeah an absolute staple and so something that um you know, our thoughts go out to Tommy and his family and, and now, but it's something that I've been able to observe and we've been able to participate yeah. in is sort of how the community has gathered around and rallied for Tommy yeah. and his family, yeah, for Steph and the girls. And so um, just a couple nights ago, or a couple of days ago, PZ Cletta did everything to to Tommy and his family, Yeah, to Rivs and the fam. Shout out Caleb Schiff. Shout yeah. out PZ Cletta. Yeah, and so this just came out that they had made $49,000, a little bit over that, yeah. and they're donating that to the family, and that he mentioned having made, collectively, from all their spots, over 800 pizzas. Yeah, jeez. And sold 180 gift cards. Oh, man. Shout out. Shout out PZ Coletta. Yeah, yeah. Really jumping in there. Yeah. Uh, what's inspiring about it, too, is I saw that Caleb also 
offered gratitude and thanks to vendors that helped support him as he led the effort in that mm. cause. Um, and he shout out, he shouted out his uh, staff and the employees that worked so hard to make all that happen. Yeah. Just a real example of our connection to others. Yeah, no doubt. Shining example. So yeah, yeah. huge shout to PZ Coletta and the crew, to Caleb, um, to everyone who supported PZ Coletta everyone who contributed gift cards. And then I saw also that they're going to be giving pizzas to like first, um, to first responders and people yeah. like healthcare workers and stuff. Yeah. So, Shout out to them and then best wishes for ribs. Yeah, no doubt. Best wishes to ribs and the fam. Yeah. And we'll, we'll include a link to his GoFundMe page on, uh, this, this episode. So yeah. check out the link. Um, if you're not familiar with ribs, go check him out on the IG just an incredible person yeah an icon like you're saying yeah yeah i got a couple more shouts yeah let's have them i gotta i gotta shout out uh uncle buckle so uncle buck local ultra runner yeah yeah who uh dnf'd the last person standing race <laughs> yeah so dnf being a did not finish and this is kind of a funny sort of thing because in this virtual race this group from phoenix or vipa they did um this thing where every 15 minutes your person had to run a mile yeah so buck had to run a mile every 15 minutes so it's just an interval it starts over if you run it in five minutes you get 10 minutes to rest if you run it in 14 minutes you get one minute and uh (laughs) he got third place and ran for over 30 hours and covered 122 miles something like that incredible incredible um and he got shout outs from the person and the last two people who and the person who won because buck was he was doing it all outdoors the other dudes were on treadmills, so Buck was running through his neighborhood, yeah, doing a mile at a time, just knocking it out, knocking it out. So huge shout to Uncle Buck. Yeah. To me, that's a great feat to um, accomplish for a DNF. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 122 miles around um, a block through the neighborhood. Oh, yeah. Ugh. Man, <laughs> good so for shout. him. And then lastly, we got a shout out at Sid Ritt, Sydney Ritter's house, man. She hit us up and said that uh, she liked the non-judgment episode and said that she loves the pod. Ah, shout out. Dude, anyone who loves this. Good for them. Good for them. Yeah, that's that's the process of living non-judgment. She is acting out (laughs) non-judgment right there. Good for her. Shout out, shout out. Shout out at Sid Ritt. Thanks Thanks for tuning in. We appreciate you sharing this with your friends and fam. All right. Like we mentioned, we're going beyond flag today. So we're going beyond flag with T. Mark Montoya, PhD. PhD? Yeah. Where from? Harvard of the West. Uh, brilliant. No, actually, he teaches at Harvard of the West. Sorry. <laughs> He's from New Mexico State, I believe. Hey, He's, all right. Uh, I, I think he did his graduate, graduate work there. I'm not sure. Um, but he is a tenured associate professor currently in ethnic studies at NAU. Hey, Harvard. Harvard. Let me finish. Of the West. (laughs) His teaching and research interests include the U.S.-Mexico borderlands, the borderlands pedagogy, the citizenship regime, ethnic studies, Chicano and Latinx studies, first-generation student experiences, DACA, and (laughs) hip-hop. All right, then. That'll get you. That'll get you. Dr. Montoya has a profound knowledge of how we develop inclusive groups that create exclusion, which may require some unlearning to understand why we fall into the pattern in the first place. Yeah. Deep stuff. Good stuff, Mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. 
Dr. Montoya has a wide range of interests outside of academia as well. He has an interest in a variety of music, saying he likes all form of music that he's ever heard, Okay, uh, which is pretty remarkable. That, so he's never ruled out anything? That's what he says. Um, indiscriminate taste, this guy. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Non-judgment. <laughs> yeah, non-judgment. Um, he has a particular interest in hip-hop and in identified Chuck D from Public Enemy as the greatest MC of all time. Ooh. That that's that's strong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You on board with that? Ah, man. Well, I think my whole thing is that he's the most underrated MC of all time. Yeah, that's yeah. your your idea of him. Yeah, yeah. Okay, oh, he's fantastic. Yeah. So, and he covers that. We'll get to learn more about his opinion of Chuck D. Okay. His favorite book is "Bless Me, Ultima," written by Rudolfo Anaya. Hmm. He's originally from New Mexico, and he, but he's lived here in Flagstaff for quite some time. He's he's a real uh, mouth, powerful mouthpiece for this area. So, I'm looking forward to hearing from Doctor T. Mark Montoya. Ah, no doubt. You said a word earlier. I don't really know what it means. Pe- you said pedagog. Pedagogy. Ped- pedagogy. <clears throat> pedagogy. Ah, pedagogy. Yeah, like being pedagogious. <laughs> pedagogiousness? <laughs> I don't think that's a, 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 a current conjugation, but I don't know why it couldn't be. Super pedagogious. Yeah. <laughs> being all pedagogious with your teaching. Ah, okay. I have yeah. to go to Merriam later. It's a method of teaching. Yeah. Ah, okay. Yeah. Okay. So the methodology around um, how we learn things. So it can mean in the classroom environment, but it also can just mean learning that it occurs um, serendipitously or just yeah. in our day-to-day experiences. All right. And yeah. uh, T. Mark Montoya is all the way from New Mexico. All the way from New Mexico. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to having him in the dun-dun. Yeah. Well, let's go beyond flag with T. Mark Montoya. Welcome to Beyond Flag, a Beyond the Pines production, created by, with, and for the people of Flagstaff, building connection in the town we love. We are your hosts, Dr. Daniel J. Phillips, and Cody Bayless, also known as Dr. Chinchilla Nice Nice. Thanks for tuning in as we go Beyond Flag, straight from the dunny of our observatory. All right, here we are in the dunny. I gotta say, it's so nice to be back in the dunny with another person that's not you. <laughs> yeah. like, that feels great. What does that mean? It's just nice to switch it up a little bit, man. We've just been pounding out all these quick and nerdies. Yeah. And it was great to hear the Beyond Flag theme music again, huh? Oh, yeah, for sure. So we're back into our interview format. We're back in the interview format. Which means everyone can look forward to the commercials. Yes. They get interspersed throughout. We got some commercials going, some Craigslist ads, and we've been applying some CDC rules to this uh, interview format, huh? Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's a little bit noisy in the background. Might be noisy in the background. Yeah. We've got doors open, windows open, the whole thing. Yeah. And here we are sitting with T. Mark Montoya, Dr. Montoya, here, uh, professor from NAU. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, we're stoked to have you. I'm mm-hmm. stoked to have you. Yeah. Um, so I'm excited to have you come in. I think a lot of what you cover as a professor in ethnic studies is so relevant. I think a lot of what's gone on in terms of um, the social injustice, the call to, uh, of attention to social injustice, it's important that we carry on this message. I've worried a little bit that it'll be a flash in the pan and some of the needed policy changes and environmental and cultural changes will go away if, if the message doesn't persist. So I'm excited to talk to you mm. 
about issues that relate to some of that. So thank you. Well, thank you again for having me. Yeah, thanks for offering your time. So one area of interest that I really like about yours, Mark, is um, that you've covered hip hop and you actually wrote a co-wrote a chapter that addressed um, finding information and knowledge in the content of hip hop and then teaching that in a curriculum. Is that right? That's absolutely right. Yes, uh, my colleague and I, uh, Dr. Frederick Gooding Jr., who's now at Texas Christian University, oh, okay. um, had decided when he first got here to uh, sort of uh, create a hip hop course. Yeah. And we, the more we thought about it, we started thinking, no, you know what? We need two different hip hop courses, a 200 level, which he taught yeah. and a 400, 500 level, which I taught nice. and for, you know, thought, you know, this is a really good way to talk about some of these issues that are pertinent today through the lens of hip hop via ethnic studies. Yeah. So, uh, originally the title was something along the lines of hip hop is the ethnic studies of music or ethnic studies is the hip hop of academia, uh, of academia. Yeah. 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 And, and this is sort of that, that sort of reason why when, uh, we wrote the article, there's a lot of this, um, critique of the academy, the critique of academia to a, a large extent as well, because it's a thing, hip hop's a thing that doesn't necessarily fit in, but is everything, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So so a, a, a good way to think about it is uh, when I very first, very first time I taught the hip hop course, it was actually uh, listed as a uh, special topics course, special mm -hmm. topics in mm -hmm. ethnic studies, hip hop. Mm -hmm. And I had the students uh, do a sign in sheet. It was a way to taking taking role essentially. Yeah. And as I had them sign in, I uh, asked them the question, "What is hip hop?" Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. So it's basically write your name and answer the question, <laughs> "What is hip hop?" Right. And the best answer I got was, "I am." And I and I thought, wow, that is exactly what hip hop is. It's yeah. you. It's me. It's him. It's her. It's them. It's every. It's everyone. It's everybody. Yeah. So it, it really made for an interesting way to understand how we could talk about race and racism the politics of of uh hip-hop and look at it in in a way that is digestible yeah to a lot of folks who yeah. sort of understand hip-hop in a particular sort of way yeah there's so much content in lyrics and often it's steeped in a certain vernacular or a slang or urban speak mm -hmm. to where a lot of that depth could be missed. Mm -hmm. But you saw that depth and you thought we could incorporate this as a teach teaching tool for these things that occur and exist. Um, you mentioned that academia um, has its own rigor. Mm -hmm. And so where did hip hop fit in with that? When you guys worked to establish the course or the content for the course, how did that go? Well, we thought we were actually gonna struggle. We really thought that we were gonna get through curriculum committees and, and yeah. <laughs> so forth. And it just happened. Yeah. And, and I think um, a lot of folks were eager to see this come to fruition. Yeah. And, and I think we both did a really good job with our syllabuses in putting them together yeah. and really yeah. explaining why this was really important to, again, furthering talking about race and racism in the United States, but also to sort of understand the power dynamics of why uh, these issues exist in the first place. Mm -hmm. And and really, I mean, conscious hip hop uh, 
politically conscious, socially conscious, and so on, um, has been around for, for since the beginning, since, since its inception, essentially. Hmm. So, and, and I think that's sort of the interesting thing about um, hip hop is that we have to also take into consideration that there are at least five elements of hip hop, one of them being the MC mm-hmm. or rapping. Mm-hmm. And rapping actually precedes hip hop. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense, mm-hmm. so so the spoken word and so on. There's been a history. I mean, since spoken word, since we've been speaking, there's probably been something socially, politically conscious mm-hmm. about that. Just now, how does hip hop bring those things mm-hmm. together to that to that degree? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was curious to know a little bit about the jump from the 200 level course to 400 level mm-hmm. course. And are, are, there, are there different topics, or is it just more in depth? What what. Uh, differentiates those two so the 200 level course uh, was titled genius of hip-hop and the way we argued that we needed two courses is that his was methods 200 level genius of hip-hop and my course which was the 400 500 level course is called politicizing hip-hop and mine was theory okay so it starts with methods and it ends with theory nice so that and, and again they took it. Yeah. <laughs> the curriculum, all, all the various uh, steps through uh, various curriculum committees um, took yes. it. And they're like, oh, yeah, we, we'll absolutely do this. And our, and our classes were full. I mean, I, we were having requests for overrides and so on to the point, I think, that they actually uh, added more seats, just found a bigger room for both classes. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. When you were first talking about that, I was thinking, man, I would have loved to be like a GoPro and just kind of watch what those initial committee meetings would have been like and mm-hmm. how they would have, you know, whoever's in that room to talk about the content. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised to hear it didn't sound like it received a lot of pushback or anything. It sounds like it went through really well. It did. I mean, it, it's I. that's how I remember it. Maybe I'm remembering it <laughs> in a, in a yeah. um, idealistic sort of glorified uh, kind of way. But mm. no, it really, it that didn't seem to be the big issue in terms of getting yeah. the, the class yeah. pushed forward. Yeah, I, I think for me, it's surprising, and maybe it was this way. I don't know. I'd be really curious because you did phrase it as you and Frederick expected more resistance mm-hmm. or expected some difficulty in it. And even in the chapter, um, I was talking to you about this, um, you guys used the word stultifying, that <laughs> academia can be stultifying mm-hmm. or that it has this paradigm that it can be inclusive and and push which pushes ideas out and so even if there is knowledge inherent in hip-hop because that doesn't fit the certain Mm -hmm. paradigm of academia that it wouldn't fit so for me the surprise comes from thinking yeah i having having um, spent a lot of time in academia as a student it there's a certain culture that exists Mm -hmm. Did you expect the resistance because there's that culture of academia? I think so. And I was going to say that um, stultifying, that was Dr. Gooding's <laughs> work. <laughs> so, yeah. again, if, uh, for folks who have the opportunity to read that chapter, you're going to see a clear difference between my writing style and his writing style. <laughs> I didn't but, I didn't find it in the Urban Dictionary. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm unsurprised about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, it, it, it really was a, a question of how we could fit this in. And it made the most sense in an ethnic studies um, epistemology and an ethnic studies paradigm, essentially. So had we tried to create this, you know, through a, a different uh, field or discipline, it might not have necessarily mm-hmm. gone through. So mm-hmm. and, and I think, again, a lot of that has to do with the idea 
of what academic rigor is. Mm -hmm. So for a lot of folks, hip hop ought to be fun. And for the same folks, academia ought not to be fun. Mm. And how do we sort of, again, connect, make that connection whereby we can have fun and we can really learn and talk about very, very serious topics, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So um, I was mentioning to you some of my favorite uh, hip-hop artists and rap groups. So Public Enemy, my favorite hip-hop group. Mm-hmm. Chuck D, my top MC, favorite rapper, etc. Mm-hmm. Probably the epitome, if you will, of conscious political hip-hop to, to a very large degree. And listening to their first album, their second album, their third album, they're, you know, they just released an, another album just a, a, a few weeks ago as well. And what they're talking about in 87 is still relevant mm-hmm, to mm-hmm, this yeah. day, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And and again, it, 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 it really makes for a good conversation as how we understand um, the issues surrounding uh, Black Lives Matter, mm-hmm. for example, the issues uh, surrounding uh, how we understand race and racism in the United States today, the um, fact that the Merriam-Webster Dictionary changed their definition of racism just recently to really focus on the institutional systemic part of racism as opposed to the individual personal side of racism mm. and and that's a big deal mm-hmm. i mm-hmm. mean just mm-hmm. for folks to understand these particular um issues in the in the way they do because words have meaning mm-hmm. and and they really can um like i, I like to tell my students uh, near the beginning of, of the semester or not near the beginning, but at the beginning of the semester, is um, essentially to think of a word like a raindrop, right? It's, you know, it's it's kind of sprinkling outside right now, and you might go outside and get a couple of raindrops, and it's no big deal, right? But what happens when you put all this rain together? You know, it can cut through mountains. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not a geologist, but you know what I mean, right? It, it, <laughs> yeah. it can do these sorts of things. So again, one word might not have a lot of power. Several words put together can, again... Yeah. create a grand canyon essentially that's powerful imagery oh, that makes great sense yeah, yeah. we're well, really pumped to hear the homie merriam webster is uh, updating their their language <laughs> yeah. in their book yeah. yeah 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 that's encouraging shout out mw yeah no doubt well i was really excited to hear you talk about public enemy i i grew up on hip-hop in a lot mm. of ways and i've always held on my most underrated mc's list chuck d because mm. i feel like people would always talk about Pac, big j Nas. Mm. like those are the best mm. Chuck D, I never hear get talked about, but he's incredible. Right. Um, and, and what you're saying is like his lyrical content is still relevant 20, 30 years later in a way in which it hasn't changed and it still cuts to the heart of the issue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it really is almost sad in a way how relevant it still is, yeah. uh, you know, to think about, oh, we haven't progressed the way we think or pretend that mm-hmm. we we progressed yeah. in, in these kinds of ways so whenever again you listen to some of these early albums and and he's saying what he's saying and then um and i don't and i don't know who to attribute this to it's not that uh racism has gotten better it's that it's being filmed mm-hmm. right so now people are, are seeing it in a way that they weren't seeing it previously mm-hmm. and you're like thinking oh no he wasn't lying he wasn't making things up mm-hmm to just tell a story. He was telling a particular truth that people were like dismissing mm-hmm. in a way that um, wasn't relevant to their lives and it wasn't relevant relevant to their lives mm-hmm. because it wasn't affecting them mm-hmm. personally. 
Right. Well, and those are even the overt displays of racism mm. that are being videotaped and seen. And then there's the systemic racism mm. that is so much more insidious and people are much less conscious about. And it is difficult. You have to intentionally pay attention to capture that insidious systemic racism. Mm -hmm. And so those things are on video, but also the things he was singing about, about how systems operate, mm -hmm. um, still persist today mm -hmm. and with little change to it. Right, right. Yeah, yeah and, and again, it's, it's that sort of issue of him and other folks, him being Chuck D yeah. from Public Enemy, and other folks um, of that era, even even folks that preceded him, really talking about a systemic issue, yeah. right? Yeah. And and maybe not using that particular word, but you you listen to the to the lyrics and say, yes, this is a, a good song. This has a good beat. I can yeah. dance to it and nod my head and so on. Yeah. And then I can also learn something. Yeah. So there, there's this old um, adage hip hop saved my life. Yeah. And I've, and I've said it before as well, yeah. that, that had it not been for hip hop, I wouldn't be where I am today. Yeah. That if, again, if that makes any, um, well, kind of sense. Yeah. So. Just to put context to it, what mm. do you mean by that for you specifically? So here's the story. So in, um, let's say my freshman year in high school. Mm -hmm. So this is uh 89, 90, right. And, and sort of the, the, the start of the golden era of hip hop mm. as well. I'm, uh, laying on the couch and I'm, uh, with the remote control and flipping channels. And I stop on PBS because I see Malcolm X. Oh, yeah. And I only know Malcolm X as that guy in the background of the public enemy fight the power video, right? He's, he's, he's a civil rights leader. He's from the 60s. He was assassinated. I, you know, uh, he, he was more radical than Martin Luther King and so on, but just a very vague understanding of who he is. And here he is on PBS. Next thing I know, I'm on my third hour of this documentary <laughs> um, on PBS called Eyes on the Prize, yeah. which was about the uh, black civil rights movement. And then the next day and so on and so forth. Fast forward to now my freshman year in college. I was in honors English. Honors English, not because I was a you know honor student, I, I scored high enough in my uh, English SAT uh, score to get into honors English. I was also in developmental math. That's how that's how different those scores were. <laughs> but because this was an honors course, it was a smaller course. Everyone seemed to have it together. You know, we did our introductions the first day of class. You know, who are you? Where are you from? And then basically, what are you interested in studying? And, you know, so-and-so goes and is chipper and says all the right words. And I'm sitting in the back like, oh, my God, I don't even belong in college. You know, oh, yeah. <laughs> this, this isn't even my, my thing. Finally get to me, I introduce myself. And the thing I'm interested in studying, I, I say culture. Not knowing exactly what that means. Yeah. But, again, I, I think it's sort of that idea that, oh, I want to study this thing, right? This thing that ends up being where I'm at today, ethnic studies. Yeah. I didn't have a, a name for it yeah. at that time, yeah. but it really, again, it, it was this thing that saved my life, right? The origin I, and mm -hmm. the starting point mm -hmm. was that Chuck D video with Malcolm X. Right, right. The public enemy right. video. The fight, yeah, the fight the power video. And, yeah. all, and all, all it is is a photo of Malcolm X on stage with their, their uh, public enemy logo, the uh, 
and so on and just the the photo of him just wow i mean it really really changed that particular dynamic so i i say culture the um next class i think it was a a tuesday thursday class so the next thursday i don't even remember uh the instructor's name um she gives me a book um she says oh yeah i I remember you saying you were interested in studying culture and identity here's this book uh you might be interested in reading it's called this bridge called my back writings by radical feminists of color and and so right away i get introduced to um black feminism Chicana feminism and so on my freshman year in college oh, right wow. th- th- this is this is very backwards and not, i'm not saying this in a negative way but very backwards uh compared to a, a number of folks that i'm colleagues with they don't get introduced into you know radical queer yeah, yeah. feminists of color until well into their uh, graduate careers and so on here i am getting it my freshman, freshman year, year. <laughs> and, and and again it was because when i sat there and i thought about what's going to sound smart culture and identity right i could have said oh i'm interested in musicals because i was too i mean that <laughs> yeah. way, you know that could have been a whole other dynamic so really you know had it not been for hip-hop and the politicization of hip-hop. That's a hard word. That's a tough one. Yeah, no it is. It is. Um, it, that, that entire trajectory could have changed yeah. dramatically. Or if you would have had the confidence as a freshman in college to say musicals, mm-hmm. we could have been speaking to a theater major. Right, today. right. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. yeah. So that that whole thing right there, that feeling of like, I don't even know that I belong in college. So I'm going to throw out the word culture here, mm-hmm. set you on this trajectory to where you're here, where you're here now, and uh, have covered so many important topics. It mm-hmm. sounds like. Um, again, I was really curious if we could just go back a sec. Uh, I, I, you mentioned methods versus theory. Mm-hmm. I guess I was wondering, can you speak to some of those methods? Maybe cover a theory or yeah. tell us a little bit about that jump. Hey, Dan, guess what? What? What's something that everybody does? Everybody? Yeah. Uh, breathe. Uh, good. Another thing that everybody does, <laughs> we all drop that. Jeez. <laughs> oh, I guess you're I guess you're right. We yeah. all do that. Remember the book Everybody Poops? <laughs> well, guess what? We got a dual flush toilet here in Flagstaff, Arizona. Ah. How yeah. much are you wondering? I, I, I would guess like... $1,500. Almost. Free. <laughs> the post ID on this joint is 716-175-1524. I'll repeat that in case you're just writing this down. 716-175-1524. Flagstaff Craigslist. If you want this dual flush toilet, you can pick it up at the corner of Main Street in Dortha in Flagstaff's beautiful Sunnyside neighborhood. For $1,500. Minus $1,500. <laughs> and this post will be removed when it's gone. So if you go to Craigslist, hit up that post ID, or just type in dual flush toilet, Flagstaff, Arizona, nice. We'll get you there. If that post is there, it's yours. Yeah. Um, one quick question. What's a dual flush toilet? Yeah. I, thought, I Yeah. Go get them. <laughs> That's all you got. <laughs> to me, it sounds like two flush. All right. <laughs> go, go check it out. See, if you don't mind phantom flushing, sounds like this may be the rig for you. Can be fixed, and it's the price of $1,500. Minus $1,500. It's yours. yours. I guess I was wondering, can you speak to some of those methods? Maybe cover a theory or yeah. tell us a little bit about that jump? Yeah, so, so I think the way 
again, and again, the way we would describe it to our students is that he would do the the how, okay, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I would cover the who, what, when, where, which, okay. etc. So, so again, in in the sense of methods, it's it was a concentration of how um, does one do hip hop, right? Sure. Uh, whether it's through the various elements of hip hop, hip hop dance, emceeing, graffiti, knowledge, and so on. Whereas I would look at now, what does this mean? Right. Okay. Yeah. Focused approach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was kind of wondering earlier, mm-hmm. well, you, I think you just covered them. I was wondering what those five elements were. Mm-hmm. And then, so then you get to that 400 level class and you would really focus in, in your course, did you really take a focus or emphasize Chuck D and public enemy in their oh, work? Yeah. So I, I, yeah. I, I probably talked way too much about Chuck D no way. and Public Enemy. That doesn't happen. <laughs> um, no, I mean, for, for a lot of students, again, I, I have to remind myself that uh, for students who were born now in, um, what is it? If they're, uh, I'm really bad at the maths. Oh, the generations? Yeah, or... yeah. So, so, so if you have an incoming college student, they're born when in... Uh, Current like 2002, 2002, 2002 yeah. right? Yeah. Right. So, Post so for 9/11. them, yeah. So yeah. for them, Chuck D is like, um, I don't know, the Everly Brothers yeah, for me, yeah. right? Yeah. It's, it's like that's years. a long time yeah. ago. So it's it's a completely different era where yeah. it makes a lot of sense to me. And mm-hmm. for them, it's it's abstract. It's far away. Yeah. It's 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 oldies yeah. essentially. Um, for them, so that's that's where some of the difficulty, I think, uh, came in in terms of talking about it. But you know, I, I'd spend an entire unit uh, talking about uh, Public Enemy, talking about th- those particular kinds of issues, yeah, and really trying to again ground their understanding of what they listen to mm-hmm. as having a particular foundation, yeah, because because. Uh, you know, I, I could talk all about Chuck D. I want to, and if I had Chuck D. in the room, he'd say, "No, no, you need to be talking about James Brown, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you yeah. need to be talking about uh, Melly Mel, and you need to be, mm, you know, yeah, and so on." Yeah, so, yeah. again, it, it's it's sort of how do we understand where the particular foundations come from? Because when I um, first established the class, uh, which again is called Politicizing Hip Hop, the original title was Roots of Hip Hop, mm. and the reason why I didn't stick with Roots of Hip Hop is because I'm. So I'm comparative as opposed to linear. So to me, Roots of Hip Hop proposed a, a certain li- linearity to hip hop. Yeah. So let's start with... At the beginning. Mm, at the beginning, let's start with spoken word and let's go here and here and then let's go to uh, 77. Her, and right, five. Right. Yeah. And then Rapper's Delight, so on and so forth. Yeah. And again, it didn't work that way because I think we learn comparatively. Yeah. So... In, in this instance, I could start off the class talking about, say, um, Childish Gambino, This is America, yeah. right? It's relevant to this generation. It's a newer song. And then bring the connections to Ice Cube yeah. or whomever. Yeah. Well, I was thinking uh, with this current generation, you have your work cut out for you because... Uh mumble rap <laughs> so hopefully you converted some of them from mumble rap you know it's <laughs> it's interesting I mean, old dan tankerous <laughs> there to, he is to get back to uh, chuck d and um public enemy uh one of their one of their most popular songs bring the noise yeah. um 
the, the, it's it's really interesting because I actually talked about that, um, and and I'm going to totally fumble it here because I'm not by any means an MC, uh, but I feel like there's a, a couple of verses in that that predates so-called mumble rap in the triplet form mm-hmm. when 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 Chuck D's rapping. Never badder than bad because a brother is madder than mad at the fact he's corrupt like a senator. So he's doing the da 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 You know, it's it's again, it's a triplet form, and it really is not too dissimilar to a style that's quite popular right now that folks refer to as mumble rap. So and 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 I don't know, maybe I'm being too too nice here, but I I can appreciate it for what it is in the sense of let me put it this way: tacos. Let me explain. So I gotta lean in here. Are we going, yeah, are we he's going just said my Migos? favorite word. What's that yeah. Migos song about yeah. cooking? Oh, so, there is, isn't there? Right. Yeah. But so, so you go to a, a number of restaurants now, and uh, sort of Mexican or Latin fusion restaurants, yeah. and they have on their menu something called street tacos. Yeah. There's no such thing as street tacos. They're just tacos. They, like, and you go to Mexico, you're not getting buying a street taco. You're sp- getting a taco, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. But what a street taco means essentially is a, an authentic taco, right? The, the soft corn tortilla, a, a nice protein in there and, you know, all these kinds of things, as opposed to what a lot of Americans have in their head. When you say taco, they think of a Taco Bell, mm. a crunchy <laughs> so, sort of... Um, Maybe there's yeah. Maybe there's there's meat in there. I don't know what it what exactly it is. Some, <laughs> it's like kind of meat. Mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. Iceberg, um, iceberg, lettuce, yeah. and, and so Tomato. on. Yeah. And and I and I tell my students that's fine. You know what? Sometimes you just want some Taco Bell, but what's going to nourish you is non yeah. as tacos, okay. the street tacos. I can get so so this. so so basically this idea that when you're at the club and you just want to dance. It's okay. Have your Taco Bell. <laughs> but what's going to nourish you? What's going to make you feel good? What's going to feed you, mm-hmm. your soul, your body, your mind? It's the conscious hip hop. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so, and, and I'm not going to lie. Sometimes I'm just like, you know what? I just want a crunchy taco. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's good. Yeah. I, I can get on board with that analogy now. So, it, so when you equate mumble rap, where it may be similar in triplets to what mm-hmm. Chuck D did in rhyme format, but the content, the depth of the content right. is drastically different. Exactly, exactly. And, 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 uh, but, but then again, sometimes you just want the crunchy Taco Bell. 69 taco. cent taco. Right. Yeah, yeah. No and, doubt. Yeah, I just don't. So. <laughs> <laughs> Little grumpy pants over here. Yeah, Dan it's nice to hear someone uh, take a positive spin on things. Yeah. Thank you, Mark. Um, just real quick, I, before we transition a little bit, I was really curious. So, beyond Public Enemy, who are some of the artists that you really gravitate toward, and who are some of the contemporary artists that are also sort of carrying that message or um, involved in the politicization of hip hop? So, I mean, when I when I started listening to hip hop, I, I think I really started with Run DMC. Mm-hmm. So that that was sort of the, the group I gravitated to originally and then moved on to Public Enemy. I love the Beastie Boys just because, I mean, I think everyone did of my age group. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, Guilty they're, pleasure. There as well. And again, you know, their first album to their second album is a drastic change, change you know, yeah. like License to Ill to Paul's Boutique. Yeah. And like, oh, yeah, these guys are, are socially conscious yeah. um, as well. Um NWA, Ice Cube, but you know, in terms of contemporary artists, 
uh, someone like a, a Kendrick Lamar, yeah. uh, yeah. Childish Gambino, and folks who are really um, stretching what hip hop is and can be for for so so many people. Because you can listen to some Childish Gambino and you think, no, this is a a Prince album, yeah. right? This yeah. is this is a a funk album. This is an R and B album, but it's also very hip hop yeah. to to a very large degree. And and it's and it's really a matter. Of, I think it's difficult for a lot of the younger artists because there's this sort of issue between commercialization of hip hop and the particular message that people want to put out there as well. Whereas previous generations of hip hop, I don't think we're having that exact same dilemma with, you know, making something commercial. Mm-hmm. You know, how do, how do we sell things? How do I sell yeah. a particular image as well? And I think what's what's a little bit sad and maybe i'm completely wrong with this is that we've moved back to an era of singles so Mm -hmm. during the time where conscious rap was really big it was all about albums Mm -hmm. right we're getting albums we're listening Mm -hmm. to entire albums nowadays it's like well what's gonna what am i gonna listen to on spotify what am i gonna Mm -hmm. buy on itunes what's the one song i'm gonna listen to over and over and so you you get a, a a newer album again like a a kendrick lamar and you listen to some of the singles and then you listen to the songs that weren't singles you're like oh there's a difference yeah, here yeah, you know yeah. even even if there's a, a tinge of 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 politics in the single it might not be to the same degree yeah. as the rest of the album but i'm the type of person because i'm uh, trained as a political scientist that thinks everything is political yeah so so just kendrick lamar existing is is a political statement to a large degree as well yeah can, can you unpack that a little bit hmm? like what, what you mean by that sure sure yeah. so so it, it's sort of this um idea that our lives are involved in politics yeah. all the time right so so folks who say i don't want to talk about politics i don't want to be want to want to be political are themselves making a political statement mm. and have a particular privilege to not be political without realizing that every aspect of our lives is based on a political nature, right? That we woke up at a certain time this morning, right? And our time is political, right? We live in, in, in Arizona that doesn't observe daylight savings time. That was a political move, a a governmental move in Mm -hmm. in that, in Mm -hmm. that uh, particular sort of sense. But in terms of, of how existence itself is political is that folks can be political by just breathing and, and living. Right. And I, and I think again, this goes back to this notion of of black lives matter. Right. Um, It, 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 for a lot of folks, it's a political statement and you'll hear other folks say, no, all lives matter or this and so Mm -hmm. on. I'm like the point isn't being that some lives matter more or whatever. The point being is that we live in a system that devalues particular lives in a particular sort of way. Mm-hmm. And that existing in a way really does add a particular value. Um, so, so I'll, I'll give you um, an example and see if this, if this makes any sense is that uh, my last name is a Spanish last name. I very, I we talked about tacos earlier, right? I didn't say tacos, 
right? I didn't say, uh, that's just how I talk, right? I go order a taco, I get a burrito, I order an enchilada and so on. But the one thing I'll always say correctly is my last name. Because to me, that in, of its, that in and of itself is a political statement to say, no, I am still something outside a particular norm for a lot of mm-hmm. people, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So Montoya is always going to be said correctly, mm-hmm. but anything else. And again, it, 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 it's sort of this idea of how um, our, our very existence itself becomes a political statement. Yeah, thanks for yeah, thanks for clarifying that. I think it's a great, uh, you know. I think what you're touching on now relates to some of what I read in your other work. Mm -hmm. So other work that you do, you have these other areas of focus, and two that stuck out to me, in addition to um, how you addressed hip hop, was um, you consistently addressing the borderlands, Mm -hmm. and and then also with DACA, Mm -hmm. and I think those are really interesting. And when I was reading your work on the borderlands, I think it would be really helpful if you could define for us, um, particularly those of us living here in Arizona, mm-hmm. define borderlands. You, you address the citizenship regi- regime, mm-hmm. which I think would be helpful to define because I'm curious, some of what you're saying is existence is political, but we have this way, if I understand correctly, we have this way of creating these in and outs mm-hmm. And all of this plays in, so we can say we're not addressing something or we're not being political, but there's this consistent in and out, particularly mm-hmm. on the borderlands and mm-hmm. um, with the city citizenship regi- regime. Yeah, for sure. So, hey, you know what would work good on those cold monsoon evenings? You know, uh, maybe some hot rocks. Some hot rocks? Yeah. What are those? So we build a fire and then you put rocks next to it. And then once they heat up, you use those. Like You're in like, your socks or? Well, like sleeping bag between your legs. <laughs> you, you've been sleeping outside lately. So, so I'm mostly just talking about those uh, cold monsoon nights in town. I guess based on your reaction, you're probably not referring to hot rocks. No. Oh, I'm not talking about hot rocks. What you got? Those are a great strategy if you're out camping or yeah. if the missus has kicked you out for the night. Yeah. Either or. Mm. What I got for you mm-hmm. is a faux fur jacket. <gasps> faux? Faux so fur. So we're not real animal fur. Yeah. Okay. Faux. F-A-U-X. Oh, F-O-E? Okay. Break it down. F-O-E. A faux fur jacket. Okay. What I got for you mm-hmm. is a vintage, mm. but like new... In terms of condition, jacket. Mm. How much would you guess for this? Well, if it's vintage, I'm thinking thousands. Thousands. Tens of thousands. Well, it is faux. One thousand. Thousands. It depends. So if you get it from Craigslist, ID number seven one six one eight zero 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 eight six six, it'll cost you forty dollars. Hmm. If you hit us up, there'll just be a small mediary fee <laughs> it'll cost you around a thousand forty dollars okay <laughs> so you can choose yeah <laughs> if i was any reasonable rational person rational sheesh <laughs> so if i was a rational human being what i would do yeah i'd probably hit us up <laughs> i'd go straight to instagram i would go beyond underscore flag dm and i would say get me dams 
Give me dems. And yeah. then you get us a, a, a small check for 1040 mm. and we get you a faux fur jacket, size 14. Mm. So there you go. There you go. Get dems. I often jokingly introduce myself in academic settings in a particular way. It's this. I'm a recovering political scientist <laughs> who teaches ethnic studies, studies the borderlands, and publishes in education journals. Mm-hmm. So, so I am interdisciplinarity defined, yeah. essentially. Yeah, yeah. And, and what I'm getting at here is this sort of idea that we live as human beings in this, these vague undefined zones and these vague undefined zones are borderlands and and borderlands and studying borderlands is very different than studying borders so a border is that physical line that separates something right so so the border that separates the united states from mexico or the border that separates finland from russia right that's that line but then you have this vague undefined zone where people might not be exactly finnish but they might not be exactly russian right and 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 these zones can sort of go much further than just geopolitical zones and can include racialized identities mexican hyphen american right so that hyphen itself becomes a borderlands i'm not mexican but I'm not fully American based on this yeah. concept of, a, of the citizenship regime of yeah. the us versus them and so on. And again, this, this becomes now a, a larger international relations theory um, sort, of, sort of question or uh, sexual zones, gendered zones, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, class and so on. And again, people are, are navigating multiple borderlands as what it means to be this and that, and what's that sort of, again, vague, indeterminate zone that people are, are navigating? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that answers. It does. It know. does. It's These margins exist, mm-hmm. essentially. And um, I think it's really powerful for you to describe that it doesn't just exist on a geographical scale. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't just exist right where that physical border is. There's this area that approaches the margin. And then you can actually take... I, for me, it's easy to think about it as that geographic representation can mm-hmm. just be analogous for many other ways this plays out mm-hmm. in identity formation. Right. Um, and you mentioned the citizenship regime. If I understand correctly in your writings is basically if we talk about the border between one nation and another, mm-hmm. the citizenship regime is focused on defining who's a member of that of one country versus another Mm. country and it's based on it it defining that and delineating Mm. this person belongs here or doesn't right right so so yes so the citizenship regime itself is very legalistic right it's based on this notion of the nation state nation state system the westphalian nation state system is only 300 and say 70 or so years old so in terms of history how we understand countries and so on is very new recent yeah Yeah, very new and recent um uh, concept because citizenship is tied to the city right city zen ship right the city state and and so on so it was it's 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 a difference between membership which is now how we define citizenship and belonging 
Right. So, so I, I take what, what folks call a cultural citizenship approach to say that, again, we need, we, we need not look at this notion of membership, but the notion instead of belonging. So when we look at issues, say, of, of migration to the United States from Latin American countries, prominently here in, in Arizona from Mexico, mm-hmm. then we, we see this notion of folks not migrating, but belonging to an area they've always belonged to, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. As, as indigenous folks, as people who have, have moved and migrated since, um, since humanity has existed, essentially. This is why it's not surprising to know that um, there's an indigenous language in California that is very similar to an indigenous language in Peru. Because folks have been migrating well mm-hmm. before this concept of the U.S.-Mexico border in 1848, mm-hmm. and which is, again, really not that long ago. That's, mm-hmm. you know, three different generations. And you think, oh, yeah, that's, you know, historically. Yeah, not far mm-hmm. away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so I think that that becomes that particular difference. Now, when I talk about cultural citizenship and when I sort of look at rethinking and redefining citizenship, it's not a popular thing. Right. People are like, no, citizenship exists. It's legalistic. This is what it is. Stop muddying up the term. Right. And I'm like, well, that's the whole point is that we have to, again, unlearn what we've learned and rethink what we've thought in the past and to understand there are larger systemic institutional historical issues tied to how we understand things as they exist today. So when somebody says to me, for example, what part of illegal do you not understand when they're talking about uh, migration? And I'm like, well, who gets to define legality? Who gets to count and who doesn't count and so on? Mm -hmm. These are the questions that I have. Right. And th- that's what citizen- the citizenship regime is, is this idea of of folks having the power to define who belongs and who doesn't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, well, I was just kind of thinking, I was like, I wonder what it is that when people say something like that, mm-hmm. like what's going on internally for them to say something like that to you? Mm-hmm. And then you just said the word power. And I was like, mm-hmm. ah, to me, like all of this stuff seems to revolve around power. I guess I was wondering in your studies or just through your readings, that kind of thing. Uh, what do you make of that? I mean, it, it's real. Again, it, this is this is the basis of politics as I understand it. So again, I'm 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 a recovering political scientist. <laughs> I was right? going to call you and, out on that. <laughs> and 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 the sort of idea that for a lot of folks, political science is a study of governments, and that's good. There's nothing wrong with that, right? Mm-hmm. That that's really important work that people are doing. I like to look at it as a study of power, mm. who has it and who doesn't. Now. Governments fall under that particular umbrella, but it it becomes much more of this issue of power so that we can talk about um, if we look again at, at say, our uh, Congress, right? And we look at the ethnic, racial, class, gendered, sexual makeup of Congress, and we see how it doesn't look like the rest of the United States, right? And we like to say we're a representative democracy. And you start to think, wow, is this really representative of the United States, right? Rich, white, White. privileged, able-bodied, 
I mean, so on and mostly so forth. Male. That, yeah, male, mostly male yeah. kind of system. And so, you know, we can criticize other governments, Cuba, for example, and say it's not representative. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, not look back at this issue of power and control, power and knowledge. Who has power to define the rules and who doesn't? Who gets to say what is legal and what is not? Mm-hmm. Yeah, when when you write about this in your papers, you actually say that sometimes these topics can be, um, if I understood um, that it seems like either students or faculty or both can be cautious in addressing these topics for fear of touching upon something either too controversial or upsetting something that has come to be a well-defined category, even though just three generations ago mm-hmm. it wasn't. Um, is there caution in addressing these topics in an academic setting? And if so, why is that? I think, I think the caution comes to the idea of understanding that what we're trying to do, particularly in ethnic studies, yeah. is undo 500 years, right? So, so let, let's say that 500 years is, or more than 500 years, let's say that 500 years or, and, 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 and then some is 1492. Yeah. I'm just throwing out a date out there, right? Random, just, just a random, just random date, right? Yeah, 1492, <laughs> however long ago that was, right? And here we are in 2020. But ethnic studies as a discipline has only been around for about 51 years. Mm-hmm. So trying to do undo 500 plus years of learning is going to be a very difficult process. Mm-hmm. So one thing that, that I try to do is have patience with people. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a quote and I'm, I'm probably going to get it completely wrong. And I, I'm, I hopefully I'm not attributing it to the wrong person, but I think it was Malcolm X say, saying something essentially to the point of, don't forget that there was a time when you didn't know what you know now. Mm-hmm. Right. And in other words, mm. there has to be some patience with some aspects of learning and unlearning in our world. Mm-hmm. So if somebody doesn't agree with me, it doesn't mean they're a horrible person or somebody, you know, attacks me because they think I'm wrong or whatever. I'm like, well, the point is to be patient to say, no, you're just not at that point where you understand this yet. Mm-hmm. You're over here. Hopefully I can get you to this other point as well. And then hopefully I can continue to learn as well so that I'm not just stuck in my point either Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. again to understand complexities because it's it's it really is a complex world that we live in Mm -hmm. so again i don't know if if that sort of addresses that that particular Mm -hmm. question but Mm -hmm. this this idea that there has to be some patience in talking to students about their worldview and their understanding Mm -hmm. right one thing that i do in my classes is uh show them a map of the world and I'm, I'm sure you've seen it on the internet, but the difference between the uh, Mercator projection and the, uh, uh, what's the other projection? I can't even think of what it's called now. Yeah. Peterson projection or whatever it is. I don't know the name of it. Are yeah. you talking about the sizes? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they're like relative sizes of countries and mm-hmm. so on. 
and you you look at something and it's like yeah how do you make a globe flat it mm-hmm. it's very difficult and because of this we start to see things in a particular way and mm-hmm. we start to see the united states <laughs> as much bigger than it is yeah. and greenland <laughs> as enormous right yeah. and greenland you're like oh there's like what 50 Greenlands can fit in Africa, but it looks the same size in a particular projection. So I I remind them is understand that what you've learned can be a projection of the reality. Now, how do we get to a different reality? Not to say Mm -hmm. that you're completely wrong, but understand that there's a a multitude of ways to visualize the world. Mm -hmm. To promote learning for all of us. And I I think for me, one of the points I'd highlight in what you said is, also, when I'm listening to someone and I have an idea about something that I'm trying to convey to that person, that I'm also trying to take in what they're saying. Mm. And even if I help them to understand something, I feel like I understand in a different way than they do, that I need to continue learning as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, it, it's not some point you reach and stop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nine-inning ball game with no finish kind of thing, huh? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just keeps going. I, I really value what you were saying about patience there. You know, it's just having this conversation with a friend, um, just about everything that's going on. Right. Mm -hmm. And trying to become even further in my own education on race and anti-racism. And like, there's this part of me internally. It's like, we got to fix this now, Mm -hmm. which I think is true. But then I'm like, I got to fix this now. So like my kids can continue Mm -hmm. that so that their kids can continue that to me, just like you were saying, like 51 years of ethnic studies in the context of a 500 year of, uh, unlearning or something mm. like that. Like that's a, it takes a while to do these things. Mm. Um, yeah, that just really stuck out to me in that way. Um, I was curious about your work mm. and then just connecting that to DACA. So, so yeah, so I'm, I'm part of a organization a non-profit organization here in flagstaff called the northern arizona dream fund uh we're, we're incorporated so we're non-profit we do all the things legitimately um and as as part of this northern arizona dream fund what we basically do is find rich people okay and we raise money from them so that we can pay for local daca uh deferred action Oh wow! I'm gonna. I should know this. I should have it memorized. <laughs> can, can you? Can someone look that up for me? Uh, what yeah. DACA stands for? Deferred oh. Action yeah. for Childhood Arrivals, I believe. I, okay. I think. I think Deferred that's it. Um, uh, and for folks applying for DACA, it's a four hundred and ninety-five uh, dollar fee okay. every two years, and the checks made out to Department of Homeland Security. So here I am on one side, an academic side criticizing the citizenship regime, which the Department of Homeland Security represents at its fullest level, and at the same time, don't want to be the person that says no to the young uh, dreamer who says, can you help me pay for my reapplication? Oh, no, because I, you know, the citizen regime is bad, you know, and so on. So, So it becomes a very interesting and difficult process. So basically what we do, again, is raise money to pay that $495 application or re right now um, new folks can't apply. So it's folks reapplying. So the $495 reapplication fee, right? Wow. And, and you think about that, I can raise, and I don't, I'm not a good fundraiser, but let's say I could raise a thousand dollars. That's only going to pay for two people. Two people yeah. Right. Oh, right. And that's, that's a lot, a lot of money. So 
it's this idea of how do we help them because as we can probably figure out is most folks who are uh, DACA eligible themselves are not coming from a privileged situation where they just have a spare $500 laying around every two years, yeah. right now. And again, yeah, every, wow. every two years. So we, we started raising money for local DACA recipients and we worked with different organizations that were helping um, uh, migrant families in Flagstaff and they knew that we were raising money and all, all we were saying is give us, because we had to have it, your name, we'll go to the bank, we'll go to the credit union, we'll cut the check to the Department of Homeland Security. Everything's legit because we're a, a nonprofit, so we have all our paperwork and all the law uh, in order and so on. We're not doing anything beyond that. We have bookkeeping, record keeping, and, and those sorts of things. And what started happening, very interestingly, is that the young folks started to see it as a um, almost like a scholarship. Hmm. So instead of just saying, uh, hi, my name is Danielle so-and-so, and, -so, and um, I'd, I'd like uh, help with the, my DOCRE application, they were writing the letters to us, full-on letters. And, and again, these were handwritten letters, pencil, paper with, you know, college rule yeah, and all yeah. that, because these are kids. These yeah. are kids. And, you know, I, I'm sorry that that my parents didn't do this the right way, but I don't know Mexico. I don't want to, you know, yeah. I, I can't imagine doing this and I want to be a good citizen. I mean, they were using all these terms. And here we are with a bunch of basically application letters that we didn't ask for, right? Mm -hmm. We weren't asking for any of this. And I, I told one of my colleagues, um, Dr. Von Luna, that I'm like, we have a wealth of information on, on the one hand, we're a nonprofit. On the other hand, we're also academics. We should see what we can do with this. And then I said later on to her, no, no, let's not do this. This is horrible. This is a horrible, like, it feels, it's felt <laughs> exploitative. Yeah. yeah, it's felt exploitative and so on and so forth. And then I started talking to the DACA recipients, and they're like, tell our story. Yeah tell our story please please tell our story and again it was it was one one of the most rewarding and heartbreaking things that we did with this uh, particular daca article because what we did was analyze um and code and this is this is all sociology and i'm an sociologist that's why dr luna did all that part <laughs> and so on um but to tell their story and and to, to tell their story in a way that was you know, we, we, we made everyone anonymous, mm -hmm. but in a way that really, I think, put a human face to what people understood as an abstract idea. Yeah. That these are your neighbors, mm. these are your coworkers, mm -hmm. these are your friends, these are your kids' friends, mm -hmm. they, they go to school. And to even sort of move away from the so-called good immigrant narrative as well to say, and these are human beings mm -hmm. that themselves might make mistakes and might not do things right and might have trouble in school and so on, but they deserve this chance. Right. I, and then that, I think that ended up being the title of that particular DACA paper. I, I, I need this, I need this chance to help my family. Yeah, yeah. And, and it was this sort of idea that most folks who were writing these letters to us were not seeing themselves as individuals they were seeing themselves as something larger starting with the family but even a larger community and they and they and this is what we started for the coding started happening we're mm -hmm. like oh we're seeing 
family. We're seeing community. We're yeah. seeing these words in this sort of way that, again, will tell their story because they wanted their story told. Had, had somebody said, nope, I, I would have been like, throw this away. We're not doing this particular article. But I think most of them were, or all of them were grateful yeah. that that story was being told. And, and then when you guys did the qualitative analysis, mm-hmm. that's where you really came to realize that they, it's not even that they were emphasizing how much it would hurt them, mm-hmm. but they were talking about the benefits they wanted to provide for their family. For their family, their exactly, exactly. And again, it, it really changed that dynamic of how we understand because, again, we, we talk about issues of race and racism, there's this tendency to look solely at the individual level, mm-hmm. right? That's racial hatred. This person doesn't like that person because of their race. Mm-hmm. That's racial hatred. It's very different from racism, mm-hmm. which is this larger systemic issue. Mm-hmm. And what we're seeing with DACA students as well is that they weren't looking at, you know, help me. Mm-hmm. I need to go to college. I need it. It was like help me to help my family, to help mm-hmm. my community, to help these larger sorts of issues. And, and it really, again, changed this particular dynamic of the individual versus the structural systemic community mm-hmm. yeah level yeah to me this just this is such a powerful application for what you've been talking about both related to the borderlands and related to hip-hop that we create these ideas of things mm-hmm. and um often it worked best if we just reflectively listen to one another mm-hmm. a little bit and try to unlearn some mm-hmm. things that have become solidified margins for us and then understand mm-hmm. there's much more similarity than there is dissimilarity. Right. So I know this is a podcast and so no one can see this, but imagine <laughs> if you will, a $1 bill. Yeah. Right. And you have that $1 bill in your hand and what's that George Washington, right? Yeah. And imagine a $20 bill, you know, is the we'll say as a as a society that the twenty dollar bill is worth more? Why? Because we put a particular value yeah, on it. Yeah. We say that it takes twenty ones to equal the twenty dollar yeah, bill. Yeah. But you, imagine you're holding those in your hands. Is the twenty dollar bill bigger paper? No. No. I mean, they probably cost right. literally right. the same to make. Right. It's, it's not better paper. It's not bigger paper. Yeah. It's the same thing, right? Yeah. It's us as society putting a particular value yeah. on on that piece of paper. And yeah. and this, again, has a lot to do with race and gender yeah. and so on. It's, you know, but we're all biologically the same. We're on an operating table and we're a human being, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Now it's a value that people place on, you know, this person's black, this person's white, this person's Asian, and so on and so forth, when the actual structure of it is the same thing, right? But the value increases and changes. And then again, that has a particular analogy to how we look at and value people's lives as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it would be important to point out with that analogy, when you look at a $20 bill and a $1 bill, um, you're aware of how you are placing dis- different mm-hmm. values there, but racism and systemic racism is so insidious mm-hmm. that those values are being placed without us always being aware of it. And what you're really saying here is we actually need to catch ourselves mm-hmm. doing that to try and pay t- attention to that. Right, right. Yeah, because... Unlearn cause, it. Right. I- imagine somebody says, yeah, this costs $1 and you give them a 20 
because you're like again what yeah. do you have to do you have to pay attention like oh yeah i almost gave you the 20 oops yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. going forward I, I would love to hear your perspective on what it takes to unlearn these things mm-hmm. wow um so so i had this article unlearning racism mm. and and so very surprisingly i always assume nobody ever read any of my work besides the um besides myself <laughs> my, my wife my wife katie who does a lot of the uh, proofing and making sure that it's it's readable. Shout out Katie. Katie, yeah, yeah. Shout, shout out Katie. So that's cool. Your your wife is interested in your work. Is willing to do that. Willing yes, to do that. If she's yeah. very willing to do it. And she does she does a great job yeah. with with editing and saying that no, this is readable. I I understand what you're talking about. Or this is just a bunch this of garbage. <laughs> go go, go yeah. back. Yeah, yeah, go no. And she's she sent me back before. I mean, oh, yeah. Her 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 red marks are harsh sometimes, <laughs> um, but. Uh, yeah, besides myself, Katie, and uh, maybe the anonymous reviewers, mm-hmm. I've never assumed, but this, this particular article hit like, you yeah. know, 600 and something views. I saw that. Um, this is like, your most recent one? Yeah, the, yeah. This, this unlearning racism. I think, yeah. I think a lot had to do with the title and just when it came out. Yeah. It, it, it came out right, it was published right in the middle of... Uh, uh, social the, unrest yeah the contemporary social and or the i don't want to say contemporary the continual yeah social yeah. unrest um that was more highlighted yeah. um uh much more recently as well and it's not really a guide or a how to unlearn racism as much as again it's this understanding of how we can rethink hmm. the world that we live in so uh, an example and i can't remember if i put it in this article or it's a different one or maybe it's it i took it out because everything sort of blends together but i had this example of teaching borderlands in the classroom and one thing again going back to the issues of maps i show my students a map of the u.s mexico border and then later on and i talk about the border and you know two thousand miles long uh half of it the rio grande is a river the other half is an irregular line that's in the desert and so on and most people can visualize that and then sort of the next slide i show them is the exact same map but it's upside down it's flipped and 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 students are like complaining like oh this is upside down your your slides upside down and i'm like let's talk about this and and the reason is because they've learned something that they want to fix it mm-hmm. their mind wants to put it right mm-hmm. and i say well sometimes what do we know why is it right one way but not the other way it's the same border mm-hmm. right so so again it's the sort of understanding of how we need to unlearn things by rethinking mm-hmm. the reason why they exist in the first place mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so so it's it's maybe it should be called it should have been called rethinking <laughs> racism but that, that i'm like well i don't want to rethink something that needs to be yeah. abolished essentially so how do we understand where something comes from we have to again understand the particular institutions historical yeah. um systemic levels of of analysis ideological and so on yeah those are so so ingrained mm-hmm. and intertwined yeah, yeah. and, and yeah it, it, it is it is so so difficult and and that's and that's the thing is like when i teach ethnic studies sometimes um i might not necessarily use race or ethnicity as an example but instead use gender Hmm. and because i i'm already come off as a racialized ethnic minority Mm -hmm. in the united states Mm -hmm. as as a, a latino but but the issue then being is i live in a world where i can walk in downtown flagstaff pre 
quarantine, right, pre-COVID, <laughs> at 11 o'clock at night and feel relatively safe, mm-hmm. right? I mean, just just I'm just being yeah. ingrained in me, you know, always look for your surroundings and be careful and so on. But as a, as a, as a man, as a male bodied person that I don't have to think about sexual assault. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's the world we live in. Whereas more than 50% of our population could do that same thing and think, Oh, I have to be now this extra yeah, step and extra cautious and so on, just based on my perceived gender mm-hmm. alone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So so it's 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 those sorts of things. Again, I can't teach people to unlearn sexism, mm-hmm. but I can have them be a very aware of that. Even me not having to care about that is part of a, a sexist structural. Yeah. You can point yeah. them to what mm-hmm. they've learned mm-hmm. and then it is up to people to unlearn it or mm-hmm. to take that thing to take that flipped map and their discomfort with that flipped mm-hmm. map and say oh mm-hmm. yeah i expected yeah. to see it a certain way and it's actually the same right flip this other right. way yeah. what do i do with that right and if they're uncomfortable they're doing it right mm-hmm. i mean that's 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 the thing is you know but yeah what, what can you do with it mm-hmm. and you can say oh yeah i can see it now i can see mm-hmm. what i need to see and understand that this is again political mm-hmm. somebody has decided that you know, this is north and this is south. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're mm-hmm. again. I'm not a and north is up and south right, is down. Right, right, yeah. and 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 then we start to develop even north south um, discourses mm-hmm. in terms of importance and so on. Mm-hmm. The global north, the global south, developed world, underdeveloped, so on, so forth. Mm-hmm. What's powerful in that though is th- some of that is less threatening. And even there, mm-hmm. I think that's what you were saying is w- when you put it into terms of in context of gender mm-hmm. versus ethnicity, when mm-hmm. people might be expecting something from you as mm-hmm. a Latino professor, right. ethnic studies professor, you actually make it less threatening. So they open themselves up to take that in. Right. And sometimes we're so closed off mm-hmm. because we anticipate the controversy mm-hmm. of something. Yeah. And it's, and it's very purposeful. So, so again, I think back to a conversation I had with a colleague, Dr. Joel Olson he passed away several years ago uh, of an, uh, white abolitionist scholar uh anarchist i mean you know talk talk about you know a a particular level of understanding the world and we had a conversation about race racism ethnic studies and teaching um sort of race-based kinds of courses and the conversation was essentially is it easier for him as a white guy or me and i said it originally it was easier for me because i have a minoritized um identity that allows me to speak to a particular issue and he's like no mark it's easier for me because as a white guy people are going to see me as neutral and objective yeah and you walk into a classroom and you're another minority complaining you've you've already and i'm like of course i couldn't even win an argument with him there (laughs) and it wasn't an argument but it was it was more of a conversation but the point that that he was making was this sort of idea that um i could say the same thing in the same way that he said it but again, he would be neutral and objective. I'd be another yeah. minority complaining, and therefore I would lose more than half of my students just by opening my mouth. And therefore, the reason why I, I often very purposely change use context. yeah change the context and and talk about something else so they can say oh oh now I see yeah. that I, he's not being biased. He's telling a a truth 
in a way that affects him very differently than it affects um, me, yeah. right? So, like, I, I was recently telling Katie the other day that um, I, I, I like to go on a walk every other day with my dog. And I told her I wouldn't walk if I didn't have a dog. If that was that, I, I would, I, I would be nervous that people would see a Latino man walking around oh, a neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. And she's like, "What?" And she's like, "Oh, yeah, yeah." I mean, again, it, it didn't, it didn't necessarily phase her yeah. that I take take into consideration that me just going on a walk, I had to think about: Do I want to be this guy on a walk in this neighborhood? Yeah that is has no business essentially walking yeah. unlike when you're with your oh he's walking his dog yeah. that's nice that gives the narrative to it mm-hmm. which is so many so many people's experience of minority ethnic mm-hmm. backgrounds across the u.s is those thoughts mm-hmm. whereas for me i wouldn't have that thought whether i was with the dog or without right. the dog. no just it's yeah. just going on a walk yeah right well yeah I, so much of this is so profound. I could keep going with this. Just as a heads up, um, yeah, DACA is deferred action for childhood arrivals. Thank you, so thank you. Yeah. I, I will never forget that now. But yeah, I let you, you know, down in the moment. You know, I didn't, it's, I didn't have it's, it handy. it's all good. It's all good. Yeah. But yeah, so f- local folks that are listening, uh, uh, we have a Facebook group. Just type in Northern Arizona Dream Fund. We have a GoFundMe, five bucks, ten bucks. 500 bucks anything helps and again uh we're nonprofit, so i'm not making any money off of this it's all going directly to local dreamers yeah and and yeah i'm glad you shouted that out so it's the northern arizona dream fund and Mm is the best resource then the facebook group that and the and the gofundme page which they're all kind of linked together together yeah i i but again, we're nonprofit, so we didn't want to develop a web yeah. web page yeah. and do things that were Pay gonna cost that. yeah, yeah. that were gonna cost money. It's usually just word of mouth and, and the the nice thing about Flagstaff is that in many aspects we're a tight enough community where folks are talking to other folks and they feel yeah. safe contacting us as well to again cut a check on their behalf because it's, it's a very scary process to know now yeah. that department of homeland security has their name yeah. and info but they're going to have their name anyway it's just us being the middle person cutting the check for 495 dollars well yeah. yeah thank you so much so shout out to the northern arizona dream fund thank you so much for your time uh mark and it's been a blast well thank you for having me this is this. awesome it's nice to uh put on some clothes today and not wear the uh, comfy clothes and comb my hair and wear my wedding ring first time since March, I think. Trace dressed up way more than us. I was going to say, you're the sharpest looking person I've seen the last three or four months. Well, I appreciate it. Without a doubt. I was, I was, you know, worried there might be some uh, Instagram photos. So I wanted to make sure (laughs) that, that I was prepared for that. And I know you're on Instagram and yeah, my kind of on Twitter. Is, uh, hashtag yeah. Instagramless Dan. Yeah. Do you, do you hear yeah, about he's Twitter? He's one of our followers. You're one of our six I'm, followers. Yeah, I was your first follower. Yeah. I, didn't, I don't on think Twitter you first. Yeah, I don't yeah. think you followed back until maybe a couple of weeks ago. No, that I don't sounds think about right. Looked at it. Until <laughs> you have a, a real, real slack approach to Twitter right now. Right, it's right. embarrassing. You have to, you have to be posting at least three times a day to be Consider, on Twitter. Yeah, to be considered yeah. anything. Uh, so, we might there. need you to give some notes to old Dan over here. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. We're getting there. We're getting there. Well, thank yeah. you so much. Thank for you. Your time. Yeah. Thank you for having thank me. Thank you so much, Mark. It. Yeah. yeah.
right, back in the dun-dun, man. We just walked Mark outside. What a good time it was to have, uh, for me, I just, it was so good to be back with someone doing an interview. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you made it clear early on that it was nice to be back with someone other than me to do the interview. Mm-hmm. And after sitting with T. Mark Montoya, I actually agree and probably more so than you. Yeah. Just I see what you're saying there. Yeah. I see what you're saying. So we both feel the same. We both feel like we're happier than the other person that we had someone else to be with. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Man, what an interview. Um, for me, that was so much fun. I've really, I heard you say this at the end of that time that you felt like we could have just sat here forever. Yeah. And I, I legitimately feel that same way. Um, you know, particularly talking about all three of those things when we were talking about hip hop, Borderlands, and DACA. All those things are just so relevant and yeah. um, interesting to me, particularly yeah. Mark's voice on all that. Yeah, I kind of got hung up on what he introduced about unlearning. Yeah. Um, and, he, you know, he quibbled about whether that was the proper use of the term in mm. his title and, the, you know, acknowledged that he thought about what title to use. And I actually thought, yeah, that's the thing. For me, I almost relate it to like having a beginner's mind in mindfulness. Mm. Like we need to let go of these things that have been well-defined because we fabricated much of that. Like, yeah. like uh, whether it's a boundary that we identify as a border, that's fabricated. Hmm. Or about a definition of gender, ethnicity. Those yeah. are all fabricated definitions. All this stuff is just made up. Constructionism. Constructionism. Like the dollar bill example he was yeah. using. All this ah, stuff powerful. is just yeah made yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah. I th- That was powerful for me because um, literally they probably cost the same to make. Yeah. So it's easy to use it as a representation saying oh, we apply different values to these. And they're virtually the same thing. Yeah. But also their values that relate to money and economics. Mm-hmm. And economically, they cost the same to produce. Yeah. And yet one is of different value. Than oh, that's other. staggering. Yeah, one just has a different number on it, huh? Yeah, great imagery of that analogy of the money. Yeah, that was super useful, huh? Yeah. You know, another thing that we talked about, I don't know how into this you were. I was really excited, but when we got into talking about hip-hop, like, for me, that was super fun. I feel like I could just go off on, on that for days. It was. For me, I I was curious about you because you talked about growing up in hip-hop. For mm. me, I was really into punk rock and punk hardcore. Yeah. And then had these tangents into early, early hip-hop. Um, and then I came back around with like most deaf. Like some of my favorite lyricists are most deaf and, yeah. Na- and Nas. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, I wondered, were the names he was dropping, was that a lot of what you listened to? or? Yeah, you know, a lot of that was a little before I got into it, but stuff that I had gone back, because I got really into hip-hop, so I really yeah. wanted to learn the history of it. Yeah. Um, but Public Enemy was someone who I was really naturally drawn to. And like I was saying in the interview was, um, I really thought Chuck D is one of the most underrated MCs. Yeah. Lyrically, everything that he does is so good. And you never really hear him talked about as being one of the best to yeah. do it. And I think he needs to be in that conversation in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then I, I remember you were talking about uh, like conscious hip hop. Yeah. And I would associate most deaf with that. Yeah, Black Thought. Yeah, yeah Black Thought, exactly. Um, and that Black was kind Star. Of, or Black Star. Well, but I would think Black Thought from the Roots, yeah. too, would also fall into that. Yeah. And so. All um, the Roots, yeah. Yeah, like they that. They were the house band for all of that. Yeah. And so for. Um, for me, like that was kind of where my entry point into hip hop was more the mid nineties. Um, 
and and kind of middle late 90s like wu-tang and gangstar krs1 mm-hmm. some of those groups mm-hmm. tribe called quest um but yeah when he was talking run dmc and public enemy was someone who i had gone back to, to like yeah i gotta know the roots of where this stuff came from mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so i went back there for sure yeah it's good stuff i like that because it you know hip-hop can be dismissed it can be viewed as um uh, not a lot of substance to it and yet it really does have a commentary like even me i have a hard time with mumble rap yeah. but it really is a commentary <laughs> yeah. on what is appealing to that generation right now yeah certainly that that was why when we were talking i thought when it got brought up to be a course in college mm-hmm. that it would be its own course i was like i can imagine that people would take that seriously mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so mm-hmm. I was really impressed that he was mm-hmm. saying it was really well received, and it doesn't it doesn't surprise me that students were totally interested gravitated. in it. Yeah. yeah, 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 because that's what it, that's what it is. The interest and appeal to some of that uh, when things have that level of mass appeal is because it's speaking on a level that aligns with what people's experience is. Yeah, um, and hip hop has that. So when when I was reading through the papers that he, he has written. Um, I saw hip-hop as actually a really engaging way to approach the more complex ideas that he writes about when it comes to the borderlands. But basically, it all comes down to these in-and-out groups and everyone trying to hold the power to define who's in and who's out. Yeah, totally. Yeah, Yeah, really relevant stuff. You know, another thing from the interview that really stuck out to me, and I feel a little bit ignorant about this, but I had no idea that there was a Northern Arizona Dream Fund. No. And yeah. so hearing him talk about that and the work they were doing, I was really interested in that story he was telling about how mm-hmm. people just naturally approached it like it was a like it was a scholarship. Yeah, applying. Yeah, that blew my mind. Yeah. It, it, it's a little disheartening, honestly, because I don't know, they probably are just competing for resources that aren't available, that available, which yeah. is a little disheartening. So yeah. shout out Northern Arizona Dream Fund. Go check it out. We'll include the link to everything on this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, good time. Good times. It was great to be back in the dun dun with someone else. With someone else. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, can you take us out by shouting us out? No doubt. So hit us up on our website, www.beyondflag flag spelled flg no doubt and you can hit us up on instagram beyond underscore flag we got stories we got posts we got questions we got snappies snappies snap at our chats snap at our chats face logs and if anyone has any idea on how to build a twitter account if you could just like <laughs> send message that to dan. us message instagram tweet, tweet us. me yeah twitterful dan over there let us know how to build a twitter check out twitter hit us up dan's doing some work doing some work losing them followers yeah we've increased our uh followership by negative two recently (laughs) great job good stuff on our parts check out twitter if it's if it's that impressive that we lost two you want to see what's going on there yeah yeah what was it that drove away two people (laughs) out of eight (laughs) oh man at any rate all right it's been a good one no doubt love you